Coen Brothers brought back the Western in terrifying fashion. Today I'm talking about No Country for Old Men. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about No Country for Old Men, kind of continuing the What Are Modern Westerns About series I've been working on. And I was initially going to do five, but I decided I wanted to keep going so I could include some more um, neo-westerns and things of that nature. So without further ado, let's get started. So what is a neo-western? Much like its familiar uh, familiar term, neo-noir, a neo-western is generally described as a movie that has the same themes, tropes, and visuals of a traditional western that takes place in the modern day, or at least well past the era of the Old West. West, For westerns, this means, well, taking place in the West, but also dealing with outlaws, lawmen, and morality. Or, to put it another way, 310 to Yuma is just a western, while No Country for Old Men is a neo-western. And it is arguably the defining neo-western, at least to date. So what made this movie a Best Picture winner? Let's dig in. The film follows Wellen Moss, a blue-collar worker who accidentally stumbles upon a drug deal gone bad and a giant bag full of money. When Moss decides to take the money, however, he puts himself in the crosshairs of a terrifying hitman named Anton Chigurh, who will kill anyone in his way. Now Moss is on the run as his friend, the local sheriff Ed Tom Bell, tries to piece together what happened and where Moss will go next. So No Country for Old Men is a movie film geeks love to discuss, not just because it's a great movie, but also because it came out in 2007 when internet culture was picking up steam and everybody could start offering up their theory about what the film meant. Very easy to do when you have an ambiguous ending. Which is easy to understand, but also a shame because of how well-crafted this movie is beyond the themes. So let's discuss why this movie works as well as it does before getting into its ideas. Starting with, Roger Deakins might be the best there's ever been. The visual palette of No Country for Old Men is one that has been mimicked and imitated by almost every modern and neo-western since it came out. And with good reason, because Roger Deakins, the film cinematographer and the man who shot the majority of the Coen's career, delivers shot after beautiful shot in this movie. The key to Deakins' approach is that he likes natural light versus warm and warm colors. And when you're trying to represent the real world, including how vast and oppressive the desert is, or how a home with a few lights on isn't fully lit at night, that makes a huge difference. That's not to say he doesn't place natural light to aid his shots, see the hotel scene with Woody Harrelson, but it's all guided to make the important elements like the actors' faces stand out. He's one of the few cinematographers that is as good with close-ups as he is with action beats. This aesthetic also feels new and crisp compared to the old-school Technicolor westerns. It's easy to see why films like Hell or High Water have mimicked this visual style, while other movies like Sicario or even the animated movie Rango have just gone and gotten Deacons to do it for them. The cinematography is very important because of this movie's approach to the story, which is stewing in silence. No Country for Old Men was one of the first quiet movies that thrilled me. That's not to say the movie itself is all quiet, which of course it isn't, considering the number of brutal deaths, gunshots, and a handful of explosions, but the audio baseline for this movie is quiet, which sounds like a strange approach, considering that the movie is essentially a crime and chase thriller, with a number of tense standoffs and cat and mouse sequences. If this was made by Hitchcock, you'd have a very insistent score and sound design to highlight the tension of these moments. 
Instead, the Coens let the visuals, circumstance, and subtle scoring make the audience feel the tension. The majority of the scenes include a mostly quiet encounter where people are trying to maneuver around each other before it explodes into violence. The infamous coin toss scene is a great example. The scene isn't that scary on the page, it's just a weird exchange at a gas station. But everything from the shot selection, Javier Bardem's presence, and the subtle twinges in the score tell us everything. We see Chigurh's agitation, the station owner's fear, combined with the audience's knowledge of Chigurh's violent capacities, tell us that this attendant's life depends on the outcome of a coin toss. The threat of Chigurh provides a baseline of tension that means every quiet corner feels unsafe, which brings us to Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem's Oscar-winning performance made him a name and entity in Hollywood movies overnight, and with good reason. You could point to a lot of surface-level elements, including the infamous bowl cut or his weapons, but the real reason this man is so terrifying is how he carries himself. He's not devoid of personality, since he can clearly find things offensive or amusing, but he always carries himself like the most powerful force in the universe. Part of this is his gait, which barely shifts even after being shot full of buckshot. Another part is the shot selection, which constantly faces Chigurh from below, meaning he's leering over the audience throughout most of the movie. Combine that with a blend of casual murder or even relishing it, you know exactly how serious it is when this guy shows up at your door. And finally, we get to the themes of this movie, such as the Old West never existed, especially not now. It's hard to address this movie without talking about the author of the source material, Cormac McCarthy. McCarthy is famous for his violent, often bleak novels that include The Road, which was later adapted into a movie as well, and notably Blood Meridian, which is as close to a metaphorical deconstruction of the Old West as anything else you'll read. He writes forcefully, depicts violence in a very matter-of-fact and horrific fashion, and is called nihilistic by many. And all of those descriptors could apply to No Country for Old Men. McCarthy also likes to address his themes via a particular character who either represents the film's main ideas or debates the film's main ideas with other characters. That character in No Country for Old Men is Tommy Lee Jones' sheriff, Ed Tom Bell. Bell spends the majority of the movie quietly pushing against the violence he's coming across as he tries to track down Llewellyn and Chigurh. He makes constant references to how things seem worse nowadays, and talking about his retirement and his predecessor's retirement like the end of eras before a new, more violent breed of individual comes about. And Chigurh's actions seem to back that thinking as he tears through cartel members, police, and passerbys alike. Add in lines like, you can't stop what coming, what's coming, and yes, this sounds like the world is on a crash course towards hell. But having spent a lot of time thinking about the movie and McCarthy's other work, I think it's clear that Chigurh, whether you think he's a metaphor or an actual living person, is a stand-in for the violent world we live in. Sometimes it spares us, sometimes it doesn't. It might seem like it has a reason or fate, but really it's just the whims and emotions of a terrifying man. Hence why Llewellyn's wife says the coin doesn't have any say at the end. And there have been, always been men like Chigurh, who challenge men like Bell, who want to imagine the world as a moral place that was good once. Bell's belief is directly challenged after Llewellyn is slain, and he meets up with his uncle, an ex-lawman, to talk about how overmatched he feels compared to this violent world today. Instead of agreeing with him wholeheartedly, Ellis offers up a different perspective, that this place and this region has always been violent, and isn't a place that isn't a place that will reward warmth and kindness. Hell, kindness nearly gets Llewellyn killed by the cartel in the first 40 minutes. In essence, this beautiful imagined past that Bell is searching for, one, never existed, and two, certainly won't be found tangling with a man or a force like Chigurh or a Mexican drug cartel. 
It's easy to imagine the title as a commentary on the fragility of life, how this wild world isn't built for old-school men like Belle, who can't handle the violence they encounter. When in reality, this isn't a country for old men, because old men like Belle can't accept that his nostalgic image of the world never existed. Nothing has really changed, except their vision of the past. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.